Welcome to Dragon Talk. Hooray! This is my favorite podcast. It's the one you listen to the most, isn't it, Shelly? Over and over and over. It's the official Thunders of Dragons podcast, the only one with my voice, Greg Tito, and Shelly Mazzanobel's voice. That's right. That's right. We're going to talk like Many this. Many voices. For the rest of the interview. Hi. Have you recovered from D&D Live 2020 Roll with Advantage? I think that I am still smiling from D&D Live because what fun Is that your was. Uh, face frozen in a rictus because of Icewind Dale colon Rhyme of the Frost Maiden? Yes, except when I saw the title initially, I thought it was a book of rhymes and I was really excited about it. You do know that rhyme is not spelled like I didn't, that. I just heard the title. I didn't see the title. Oh, I meant to say. I can understand that now. And that, but I was a little offended that maybe I wasn't asked to contribute because I don't know if you're aware of this, but rhyming is one of my greatest strengths. <laughs> no more, more rhymes now. I mean it. Huh? Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> Have you really never seen The Princess Bride? It's like the best part is the two characters... <laughs> And I watched go, it once. And they, they have was, like a rhyming game, which yeah. I assumed you were inspired by. No. No? no you just, just rhyme for funs anyway? Just just for funsies. <laughs> when I wear my onesies. Whatsies. What? Oh, my rhyming onesies. Anyway, have you recovered no, from No, I have not recovered. Well, mostly, you slightly. An, you made an attempt to. You haven't been seen for the last eight days. It's true. I've been to, to hibernation with my kids. I, as I told them as we were leading up to D&D Live, I was like, once that event happens, I will be 100% you know, most uh, active dad uh, ever. Uh, and so that's what I've been doing for the last like week or so. Uh, oh, that's and fun. Have lots of fun, going to the beach as much as we can uh, on Alki, going walking through Schmidt's Park, uh, which is a rainforest less than a mile from our house that we like. What? Yeah, it's amazing. It, it's a way to get down to Alki Beach from. Is that, there. do you take um, Fairmont down? Is it like behind um, Hiawatha Park Playfield? This is super interesting content, by the way. No, Discussing, it's not. Okay. I will, I'll show you. Because I found, or my neighbor took me on a really fun walk that was like through this green belt. And yeah. then poof, we were on Alki. Yep. That's a, it, it might be connected in some ways. Similar. but you might, okay. I think you were going towards the one that was on the north, which faces the city. Uh, there's a yes. ravine that goes yes, that way. There's another ravine that goes towards... Uh, the Alki Beach part of it, uh, which is, um, we usually do that when it's raining too, because we'll put on all of our rain gear and then like walk through this rainforest and you're like, how is this by our house? It makes no sense. I don't understand that either, but West Seattle could actually be a setting for a D&D game because there's so many different locations and like these secret areas that are, and every like roads twisting and leading here and there and yep. houses up on giant cliffs and it's just, it's, Endlessly fascinating. I keep evil learning wizards. About Definitely a lot of druids evil attacking us uh, around every corner. Yes, um, and then how our um, just you know being able to get to West Seattle would be part of the adventure. Exactly. We had to go on a, like a ferry to get there. <laughs> yep, you have to walk onto a taxi that goes over the water. Um, 
But I have, I have, uh, I guess, mostly recovered from uh, from D and D Live. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the uh, the games uh, with you know oh, the D and D's cast of so Thrones. Fun. Kate did well; did such a fantastic job with them, as well as the comedians. Uh, I was laughing the entire time. Uh, they lived up to their name. They that's really for sure. did. Uh, and then seeing Jeremy play with the WWE superstars. Oh my god! So that, funny. Chris they were. So good, and actually, Quinn was super into that game too. Yeah, um, Xavier Woods and Ember Moon are his two of his favorite people of all time. My buddy, mm-hmm. who uh, we grew up on the same street in Connecticut, and we had this eternal fight that he thought wrestling was cool and real, and I thought wrestling was dumb and fake oh. uh, when we were kids. And uh, so he was the one person who messaged me, being like, "I watched the WWE game. That was that was pretty cool." Oh, I like, yeah, really? I did that for you, buddy. Oh my god! Is he a D and D player? No, not at all. So he just uh, watched it for the pure entertainment of seeing wrestlers doing this thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which was which was what it was all about. Uh, I was imagining people like him when I was watching the games. I'm like, I wonder how I would view this game if I were somebody who has never played D and D and didn't know anything about it. And I realized I would want to play D and D if I didn't already play D and D. Oddly enough, super fun. That uh, text thread ended with him asking to play, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll do it. Seriously. Let's do it." And then he's like, "He was you know, his wife. He's like, yeah, she's in, and he, his sister is staying with him right now too.' And she's like, "Yeah, uh, she's in." Are we'll you playing it. with them? Are you going to run a game? I yeah. Well, then his sister was was snarky and said, "Only if I could get the hello from the Magic Tavern people to play with us too." And I was like, "Well, I don't know if I could do that, but." I mean, uh, how good are your voices? Could you just like pretend like? Oh, that's a great mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, we'll Turn off your camera and then be like. Oh, oh. Maybe we'll ask uh, Arnie Niekamp to uh, just record a little bit, and I'll just play it randomly. Oh, he, he just says and, the and same pretend, thing over like, and oh, over. Oh, he just dropped by. He can only say one thing. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's he w- he's here to play. And oh my gosh, he just got a phone call. He has to go. It's real busy. Yeah. I'm so sorry. We'll do it like that for sure. But no, I think that you're you're exactly right. They, that was the goal, and I think it actually happened. People saw those games and uh, hopefully saw their fr- friends, yeah. you know, actors as friends, hanging out together, having a great time, mm-hmm. laughing, and uh, that's that's what D and D is all about. And I I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I love that there was a lot of new players in these groups because it also showed that you don't have to know anything <laughs> before you sit down at the table. There will be people to help you. You will figure it out, and you are going to have such a good time. It's true. It's true. It's like any uh, good game night, right? There's a framework behind mm-hmm. it, um, and it kind of is the focal point, but of 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 the of the gathering. But the real goal is just hanging out and playing and having fun with your yes. friends and family, and uh, that that really came across uh, really during did. all the games for D and D Live. And then, how about the? Amazing miniatures we saw from WizKids, uh, the oh, honking yeah. huge uh, dragon yes. miniatures. Yeah, uh, those yeah. look so great. And the uh, cooking show, I can't wait to see Heroes Feast uh, oh from the authors of, of Art that? and Arcana. That's going to be super uh, great. And the costumes, uh, did you see the the um, spirit costumes that are going to be available in, in yeah, Halloween stores? Ask, what are you going to be for Halloween? Caddy Bree. Okay. I'm going to be totally being uh, category with my heart seeker bow <laughs> oh. and my, my, my pauldron. Uh, yeah, I know. They're so, and that maybe I'll be the dungeon master with the bald they, cap. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe just change it up. Maybe I'll just be Greg, evil <laughs> wizard. <laughs> I have been a wizard for, for Halloween as like a makeshift uh, 
uh, costume in the past where I'm just like, here's a staff. I'm going to put an ampersand sticker on the top of it. There you go. I'm a wizard of the coast. Get it? Ha. I get it. That's <laughs> I funny. get it. Wow. I know. Uh, yeah. So yeah, tons of great stuff. Obviously, uh, Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frost Maiden is the adventure that's coming out on September <laughs> Uh, here I'm going to get the date wrong. I got to memorize this date for when we say it 45 million times. September 18? 15th. Oh, that's close. Oh, that's September right. September 15th that is coming out. Uh, two great covers. One painted by none other than Tyler Jacobson. Love it. it looks so good. It's got that uh, uh, kind of snowy barn owl monster pointing. Uh, we used it throughout a lot of the imagery for D&D Live. So that's that cover. Then there's the alternate cover that's only available through game stores. With Hydro 74's interpretation of that same character uh, in his Baroque kind of style. Uh, and that looks really great too. I can't wait mm-hmm. to uh, get get both of those copies and um, drool on them. And then when my drool is on them, it'll freeze immediately because they're magical. Yes. And cold. Very, very chilly. Um, yeah. So fun. So fun. So I'm glad everybody got a chance to see all that stuff, stuff that we're working on. We got more announcements coming later on this year, right, Shelley Moon? Oh, like a few, maybe. I saw some electronic mails where you were talking about those announcements. Yeah. yeah. We got to talk more about that, but probably not on Dragon Talk. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we're going to Dragon Talk about that later. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so pay attention. Uh, we are back here with our first one after D&D Live, uh, and we got a great show. Uh, we talked to Joshua Mendenhall, uh, one of the uh, creative forces behind the Sina Una uh, D&D supplement. Really fascinating. Uh, it's all about Philippine uh, mythology and storytelling and cultures, and the amount of research and discovery that is going into writing about that culture is is really inspiring so uh stay tuned listen to that interview it's gonna be really great joshua is a fantastic creator and he's also doing some fun stuff about project management in (laughs) the trpg space which is of particular interest to me yes and lots of people lots of people yeah uh we've got also uh, a fun lore you should know with me and talking about some theros stuff Oh, fun. Yeah. All right. Um, but before we do that, everybody go to uh, download the latest issue of Dragon Plus. If you want to find out more details about uh, the miniatures that WizKids is making, the Beetle and Grimm's Platinum Edition box for Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frost Maiden, uh, any fun new information uh, about what we announced during D&D Live. I, I even wrote the editor's note for it. Um, that Aww. new issue is out now That's on Dragon exciting. Plus. Uh, so download that to your uh, phone, uh, iOS, or otherwise. And while you're there, why don't you just give like some likes to uh, to Dragon Talk on the podcast app? Do that. Yeah. Let Apple yeah. know that we're cool. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Share us. Let people know. Sharing is caring. Um, <laughs> we would love Also, it. should mention that if you missed any of those wonderful games at D&D Live, you can go to the Dungeons and Dragons YouTube page and you can watch them. They're all there. That's right. In all of their glory. We got those up the day of some of them, uh, which was fantastic. And yeah, that was amazing. Allowed people to really, um, you know, kind of participate in the the online event of D&D Live this year. Um, but speaking of which, go check out what was happening in Reality RP. 
as well as uh, the D&D Adventurers League. They did a fantastic job getting people to play online together during that weekend. Uh, and I, I can't say enough wonderful things about all of uh, the creators as well as the dungeon masters who uh, worked all weekend long on that. Good stuff. They did. They really did. All right, we are going to go to a lower you should know right about now. Give me some bings. Also, some bongs. Bing bong. Bing bong. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I am today joined by Mr. Adam Lee. Hello. Hi, Adam. How's it going, man? We are traveling to the plane of Theros, uh, or the, uh, yeah, I guess it is a plane, uh, in the multiverse of yeah. Magic the Gathering. We recently released uh, Lost Odysseys of, no, Mythic Odysseys of Theros. <laughs> the Mythic Odysseys. Uh, which uh, is available digitally now and will be available in hardcover through your local game store uh, this month, July 19th. Right? So cool. Yeah, looking forward right? to that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not practiced. It's July 21st. That's when it's coming out. Oh. It's two days um, before my birthday. Oh, uh, you are going to turn Theros years old. Yes. I'll be as <laughs> old is... as Crufix. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you are an ancient god from Theros. I'll become Nyxborn at that point. Ooh, uh, all right. I actually like that. I want you to be mm-hmm. Nyxborn. I, I feel it, man. In your soul. Literally. Yeah. Well, uh, in this segment where we like to go into little details about Dungeons and Dragons lore to use in your game, uh, if you're setting it in Theros uh, or using deities, uh, we are going to talk through uh, two deities that are existent on the plane of Theros, uh, Crufix and... Ferrica. Ferrica? Ferrica, yep. Ferrica with an F. Uh, yeah, P-H, because it's all P-H. Greek-y. Oh, of course. That makes yeah. total sense. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, 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 let's do a little bit of overview of, of the Theros plane just real quick so that people can uh, orient themselves. And then, yeah, let's talk about why these two uh, deities are uh, important. Yeah, so the, yeah, the plane of Theros is a um, Greek-inspired uh, world. And um, it, it originated from Magic the Gathering. And it's sort of this... Magic meets Dungeons and Dragons, perfect collision of chocolate and peanut butter and deliciousness. So, um, yeah, we made the the world way back in uh, 2013, I believe it was. And um, yeah, it's it's Greek inspired, so it has all these Greek tropes in there. You have minotaurs, and you have uh, gods and, and goddesses. You have um, the all the heroes. And the epic quests, and you have destiny and fate. Um, all this stuff kind of pulled together and then thrown in are some really sort of new ideas um, that the Magic Creative team, uh, we did. And uh, and it kind of has, you have Nyxborn creatures, which are creatures pulled from the stars. It's as if you looked in the night sky and you saw a constellation of a creature, and that creature then kind of manifested and came to Earth. So um, in Theros, you have the, the, uh, the realm of Nyx, which is the night sky. And that's where the gods play out their, their dramas. 
And you can actually, if you're a, a human on Theros and you look up at the night sky, you can actually see the night sky animated and the stories playing out of the gods. That's so and cool. then you have the, the regular world of Theros, the plane itself, where human beings and satyrs and tritons and minotaurs and centaurs, they're all playing out the great grand drama of the, the human experience and the, and the humanoid experience. And then you have the, the underworld, the realm of the, the dead. And that is um, where uh, people go when they die. And in um, there you have um, the god Erebos who rules over it. And uh, there are these creatures called the returned. Um, they are they're dead that kind of have found their way back onto the, the plane of uh, Theros. So you have all those Greek um, tropes kind of meshed together. And it makes for amazing D&D adventure content. Yeah. So, yeah, th this book is filled with, with so many cool ideas and so many fun things for you to do. If you are a DM who loves Greek myths, this is the book for you. Many of us, uh, you know, as small larva nerds, um, you know, might have Marvel nerds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we uh, might have gotten inspired to participate in fantasy, you know, in any way through reading about Greek gods. I mean, I know I did, uh, and I was especially interested when I picked up the uh, deities and demigods uh, mm. supplement back in the eighties because it listed out, you know, the D and D stats of some deities uh that i knew from other forms of media like myths and whatnot and so it was this wonderful kind of you know circle of inspiration and it's really great to see um you know this idea be explored in a modern D, &D setting um and one of the things that's most exciting about that is how the deities are represented you know in many of the forgotten realm stories that we've been playing in for the last few years the gods are distant and yeah. not really a part of the storytelling. Uh, but on this plane, the gods are front and center. Yeah, yeah, they're right in there and they're meddling away. In fact, there's a, a nice section in this book where it goes through each of the gods and gives you sort of um, campaign ideas that how this god could play in your campaign as a as a sort of quest giver or as a villain, as an antagonist. Um, and... And another thing about Theros is that unlike um, Forgotten Realms, where you have one character that worships one of the gods, um, in Theros, you can worship them all, just mm -hmm. like in the Greek times. So if you're undertaking a certain quest into a forest, you might um, give an offering to Karametra and say, you know, protect us from, you know, doing harm or, or being harmed. Or you could um, give a... a sacrifice to Farica and say, you know, don't let any poisonous snakes get me when I'm <laughs> walking through the forest. So um, every god is active and every god is um, on the pantheon to be worshipped by a character um, in this book. So yeah, yeah, yeah so it is really rich and really uh, the gods, yeah, they make their, their presence known. And you can actually anger a god or anger several gods if you're unfortunate enough and then the you know the wheels will turn and they will actually um come down to uh you know either you send their their people who worship them to kind of smack you around 
or you may even even you know face a Nyx-born creature as an avatar of them or something. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You uh, you will feel the god's presence in this world. Well, you mentioned uh, Ferica, uh, so let's go into a little bit more detail about that uh, deity. Uh, yeah, and you know it's about uh, poison. Is it like a Medusa like god? Yeah, she's. Um, she is the god of um, kind of in, in the book. She's the god of affliction. So, but she's the god of poisons. She's the god of medicine as well. Oh. Um, she's the god of alchemy and growth and death. Um, so, th- I think the the cool thing about Farica is it's sort of this um, this theme of in the poison is the antidote. You know. Um, and like, well, and these days in the virus is the antivirus, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so we'd be praying right now to Farrakirka if we were on Theros, like, let's find the way through by, you know, exploring this virus. How do we find the antivirus for it? How do we find the, the vaccine? So, so Farrakha, um, she's a god that um, has hidden secrets of life and death and uh, growth mm-hmm. in all of nature. So it, she's the sort of the pharmacist that goes into the Amazon rainforest and cuts a piece of bark and discovers a new medicine. That's Farica. Um, uh, somebody who, like a shaman who, you know, holds a serpent and bites and, uh, and suffers the effects of their poison to try to reach another state of consciousness. That's, that's a servant of Farica. So she's the one who's within these elixirs and toxins and poisons and minerals and uh, all that stuff, she's hidden, encoded uh, secrets of the world. And from those, uh, people who are investigators into that, into those materials can find um, sort of messages from the divine. And some of them are mad ravings that go nowhere. And some of them are, um, insights into the reality and it's insights into the future and the past. So Farica herself enjoys watching mortals do this. Um, she herself might, um, she takes like sort of pleasure in seeing it's her laboratory. She's kind of like a scientist in, in that way. Oh. She looks at Theros and she's, this whole creation is like laying out before her and she's like, well, what will happen if, you know, that person, you know, ingests the toxin of that, that serpent. And she might not even know what happens. And she's kind of in delighting in sort of the revelations that, that human beings um, find out on their own. So, so. That's really fascinating. So it sounds like, you know, healers, alchemists, um, mm-hmm. uh, chirurgeons <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, would all honor uh, Farica in addition to assassins and people who use poisons, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like, a, you know, an assassin who is a master of all those different poisons. Yeah, for sure would be um, connected to Farica in some way. Um, and, you know, like with, with, you know, all the, the people of Theros, um, a person might be because of their job or because of their fascination with something, they might be kind of, I'm 80% Farica and, you know, 10% Karametra and, five percent uh Ephara, you know mm. that these are the sort of the main gods i i i worship uh because of just my day-to-day life uh so like if you get somebody like the delphic oracle 
that person is probably, you know, 80 to 90% Farica and, um, and maybe like 10% Perforos because the Delphic Oracle, I believe, was in a sort of a mountain cave. Right. And, you know, Perforos has his own sort of shamans, the, the flame speakers that were up in these caves, um, breathing in, you know, fumes from the, the mountain to get visions from Perforos. That's really neat well, to be able to have Oracle, like in a, in a pantheistic pantheistic society to be like i'm yeah. mostly you know on board with the 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 portfolio of this god but i also want to make sure that i honor this part of it and it's almost like yeah connected to a personal connection but also you know what their what their function in society is right yeah yeah and that, this was like a, an idea that um you know when we were developing theros came up and then i mean all right when i was talking with ari levich he was like you know you know, unlike FR, um, you know, Theros is going to be this, this, this version of pantheism. And, yeah. uh, and that just made a whole lot of sense. So it, it just kind of stuck with us. I love that. I so, love that. Um, so yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you at first glance might think Fereca is, uh, an evil deity just because of its association or their, her association with poisons and whatnot. But yeah, you know, there's, there's, I love that there's like this duality to it. Like it's also, you know, how you find, um, you know, things that are uh, going to be cures or help out people is by potentially killing some things, right? Like you have to, yeah. you have to have a, a scientific method about it, and I love that that's part of her portfolio as well. Yeah, we are totally her lab rats right. in that sense, and you know, and she is just gaining all more knowledge about the plane itself. Like her knowledge is massive. Like she's had eons to watch and observe as human beings sort of experiment and you know drop dead and discover cool stuff stuff but you know even her knowledge is limited and so she is still sending like if you become a worshiper of farica she might send you on a mission like go to this island nobody's ever been there Mm. and there are these things growing there or there's this sacred tree um, that's guarded um, and go and find out what that is and that sacred tree could be guarded by another god, or it could be guarded by some ancient um, archon. And they know that this tree has a property, and Farica might covet the knowledge of that property. Mm. And so these could be like things where Farica serves as a quest giver and uh, a boon giver. Like she's, she says, well, if you do this for me, um, I will grant you a, a, a powerful boon in return. Um, and like like you're saying, the gods can serve as 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 good or bad. Um, if you were to uh, go into a temple and steal something from Farica's temple, which is like a secret elixir of it could be a, ma- a magical potion that heals all wounds, um, and y- you steal that, then Farica is going to send all kinds of things after you. She might send some of her you know followers. She might send assassins. She might send um, serpents, mm. you know, snakes just come out of the woodwork at you, and and uh, and then you got to run for it. So <laughs> that's so neat. I love yeah. I love the duality, and also being able to think of gods as quest givers. I mean, that's so fun to be able to be like, you must yeah. go do this uh, if you uh, are a worshiper of me, and then how that could then create conflict between other gods. Oh um, my gosh! So yeah, every every DM running this this setting, I think, just go watch Clash of the Titans, like the first one. <laughs> And you just get this sense of that, yeah, we're all pawns on a chessboard. Right. And there is some, 
there is some agency that the mortals have to push back on the gods um, because the gods aren't um, they aren't as powerful as they appear to be. Um, there is a secret of that, you know, not many mortals know it, but um, there is the secret that really it's mortal belief that gives the gods their power, which is why the gods just don't abandon mortals or just wipe it out and have their own time. Um, they are dependent on mortals for their own survival, but they keep that a jealously guarded secret mm. because if mortals were to figure this out, um, then they could actually believe gods out of existence just by, just by not believing them anymore. So, yeah. Well, I don't know if I believe in uh, Ferrica, but I might believe <laughs> in Krufix. Ah, yeah. What is, uh, what, is, what is the god of horizons? What does that mean? So, like, uh, when we're coming up with the Theros, I mean, one of the big Greek tropes was the idea that beyond the horizon was the unknown. Like, the Greek world was, it's an island culture, and they were sailors, amazing sailors, and, um, you know, developed navigations and mathematics and all that stuff. So, in fact, shout out to Demetrios Ferradinos, who was our cultural consultant on this nice. book. Um, a good pal of mine, and also, a, uh, you know, he's a, he's a super Greek god. And, uh, yeah, so he gave us a bunch of really great insights. Yeah, Demetrios. But, yeah. Whoop, whoop. Um, so, or we should say, opa. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we had a bunch of great times talking at his, um, his restaurant who, that his parents own and he owns. And it was such a great time. It was so awesome to eat Greek food and talk about um, Theros and just just be immersed in all things Greek. So cool, so fun, um, great. My, time. I have anyway. garlic and onion taste in my mouth right now as as you're discussing. Yeah. Oh, moussaka, oh, moussaka, <laughs> so good. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So what, what did uh, what yeah. did Demetrios uh, uh, tell you about for uh, for this? Yeah, so like the the horizon was this place that beyond the horizon was the unknown. And so Krufix, when we're we're coming up with the setting, we're like, okay, that that trope has to come in there. And then, um, but also because it was a magic world, um, we had to kind of locate a god of sort of the unknown worlds and and knowledge and all that. Mm -hmm. So this guy kind of developed out of this thing. So Krufix is one of the oldest gods, if not the oldest. Oh. And he, um, or it, really, um, because it's kind of beyond sort of duality. Um, it, it. Um, let's go with let's it go with is, they. Yeah, they. So they, they, um, they, they're just the they the holder of mysteries. Um, they're the keepers of time, and they they are the ones who who kind of control mix itself. So, so they're uh, kind of outside of the 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 law of that of belief mm. that they the human beings cannot control them by not believing in crucifix. Whether crucifix is believed in or not, um, crucifix will always exist. Um, however, crucifix has a an investment to keep the status quo the way it is um, because if the gods disappear, then Krufix is kind of like sort of just in the void and doesn't have any toys to play with. So Krufix likes things the way they are and, and will check mortals and also check the gods themselves. If the gods start fighting, 
and having a, you know, because the gods are volatile and they're vain and all that good stuff. Um, if they start going at it, Krufix will actually seal them in Nyx. Krufix can turn off the stars Whoa. and the mortals will be like all of a sudden looking up and nothing's there. And that's because Krufix has shut it down. And when that happens, the mortals start to, their minds start wandering away from the gods and the gods start to weaken. So there have been a couple times when Krufix has done this and, uh, you know, the gods start squabbling amongst each other and it gets kind of nasty and Krufix shuts down Nyx and then the gods come back into line. They go, okay, well, just, we'll get back to doing just what we're kidding. doing. Krufix is like, oh, okay. You know? So, um, so yeah, so, and because Krufix is the oldest, if you know, probably the oldest god, he, um, or they, um, they know sort of all the secrets and, and they guard this, this secrecy. And, you know, if you're an adventurer and you seek out Krufix, you might find a secret and, and, you know, you know, have this like scroll or something, but Krufix might actually either want you to read it or Krufix might be like, if you read that scroll, you will throw off the balance and then they might send um, you know, emissaries or monsters or Nyxborn creatures to stop. Oh, wow. So Krufix really guards sort of the powerful secrets of the world. Um, so if you were a, so yeah. uh, character classes, it would be like kind of wizards and warlocks and yeah. those more interested yeah. in, in the metaphysics of the realm would be interested in them mm -hmm. in Krufix? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like um, yeah, Krufix is like a puppet master. Mm. You know, he works or they work behind the scenes and um, they're, they just control um, and manipulate the younger gods um, so that Krufix kind of stays at the top of the hierarchy. So, that, you know, it's weird because Heliod is kind of as the sun god is sort of big and brash and, you know, volatile and is sort of at the top of the hierarchy in sort of an overt yeah. way. Uh, along with like, you know, Nylea and Perforos and, you know, Afara, they, they're kind of the big sort of drama. But in the background, Krufix is pulling strings and running the mm. show. And so Krufix, if you're a follower of Krufix, Krufix might come to you in a vision or a dream and tell you that you have to go tell somebody a certain piece of information or go to this abandoned tomb and you know pull a scroll and give it to a king or a queen um and let them read it to kind of alter the flow of way things way things are going and so or remove you, that information do something too, for like try to be like hey someone has this scroll that i don't want out there so try to yeah. sneak in and take it yep steal stuff and it's and you you might not know on the surface like well why am i mm. doing this like what's going on but if it's Krufix that's telling you to do stuff, you, you can kind of have an idea that, oh, this not only has to do with the world of mortals and to keep balance, but it's also the world of the gods and to keep balance there. As the gods play chess with mortals, um, Krufix is throwing in blockers and, and knocking down pieces. Yeah, I could so see it. So if you do Krufix's bidden, you might tick off another god. I think a DM, so. you know, would, use, would have a, a field day with using Krufix as antagonist oh as quest giver you know maybe you know transforming mm -hmm. between those two <laughs> uh yeah, you know, yeah. not knowing uh -huh. who you, who to <laughs> trust um but here's a random question i don't know if you can answer it or not but 
you describing crucifix mean might mean that like how many of these deities and the people of Theros think of a larger multiverse? Like, are they aware that there are perhaps other planes of existence? You know, and obviously with with magic that might be possible, but in the D and D multiverse, like, would crucifix be the type of entity? that would surmise the existence of the forgotten realms say yeah yeah for sure um in the in the magic story uh one of the there was a planeswalker of xenagos who understood um that belief on theros created um could could catapult you Mm -hmm. into godhood so Xenagos was this centaur and, uh, you know, a trickster, but he was also a planeswalker. And because he was a planeswalker, he knew, oh, there's all this, there's all this existence. And he was kind of outside of the box and in his mind. And so when he, being a, a native of Theros, he's like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a bunch of people to start believing in me because I've got planeswalker powers. And they're going to think, wow, this guy's some kind of crazy god. And he did it. And he got catapulted into mm-hmm. Nyx. And that's when the gods can, you know, mass together and said, we got to kill this guy. This guy is just too much trouble. So because of that, the, the, the gods of Theros for sure know, and maybe not all of them, but Krufix certainly um, understands that Theros is a part of a bigger multiverse. But Krufix also knows that he is tied or they're tied to um, the belief of mortals that the gods of Theros are tied to the yeah. mortal people. And this can be a source of irritation for them or frustration. It could also be a source of comfort. Like for somebody like Afara, who is her, her sort of mission and her sort of push is to create civilization and to teach mortals and to, to, to raise them up to, to, to live in harmony and to have democracy and to have um, knowledge um, of how to build societies and languages. So somebody like Afara is quite happy with this, this symbiotic connection with mortals. Um, a, a god like Karametra also like wants like harvesting and, and, you know, the cycles of nature. Like she's all about that. Um, but somebody say like, um, maybe phoenix or maybe um uh i don't know maybe maybe to some degree farica as well like who the the gods that long for knowledge of of just just knowledge itself might be tempted about other worlds like what's yeah. out there um but they are bound to to theros by this sort of meta- metaphysical law so it would be interesting to explore that and find out which gods does you know could one god break away um or would they just, as soon as they left Theros and they, the belief sort of started to dwindle over a hundred or a thousand years, um, that they could, you know, just kind of disappear and evaporate. And I, and I love the idea of uh, using these gods as the way to introduce characters that you might have been, you know, started their adventures in other areas, whether it's you know Ravenloft or or other campaigns that you have going on but then you can use you know, mm-hmm. maybe crucifix or or one of the other ones that we've been discussing here to to kind of introduce theros to someone right and be like oh, here you need to travel to this yeah. other world you know they're they're 
there might be some power yeah. or you know if somehow they get put there um, accidentally through an accident or, or, or a explosion or something like that, then one of them might be able to send them back, right? Crewfix might be the one to be like, all right, well, you do this for me, but then I'll give you the tools that are necessary to go back to your life if you if you so choose and things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving the ways that is of, of, of being able to tie in all of the multiverse with, uh, with some yeah. of these gods. Oh, that's fun. I wonder like, you know, if... You know, say you get pulled in by Crufix, and Crufix is like <clears throat> your party. Like, there's something you must do on this yeah. plane of Theros. Here's what's going on. Does Crufix reveal the secret oh. of belief? You know, like, hey, on on this plane, um, if the people who believe in these gods, like, you know, or you know, like every good whatever god you encountered, and whatever god was your quest giver, they would spin the information in a certain way. Um, and you know, whether or not you were a savvy enough party, you're like faced with this incredibly powerful cosmic being. And that being is telling you what the truth of their world is. And yet it, it is severely spun yeah. <laughs> to the God's advantage, uh, cause they're trying to accomplish something by using an outsider. Um, and yet, and can gods reach across worlds and pull somebody from the forgotten realms and bring them into Theros? And because of the fact that they're an outsider, um, do they get advantages, disadvantages? You know, it's that's interesting, man. Be really yeah. fun. And it might I'll be a, a, ni- a nice way for someone, even to do like a one shot or a or a mini arc mm. with your campaign characters and use some of the amazing storytelling that you've been working on that is in uh, Mythic Odysseys of Thera. So thanks for thanks for working on that. Thanks for mm. being on the magic team when this was all kind of being conceived and, and, and made up and, and being able awesome. to transfer it into D&D it must be uh, quite an awesome feat it's really fun it's weird yeah it's cool I really uh, it's, uh, it brings a smile I love all those to emotions. my face. Like, it's fun it's cool it's weird but it's <laughs> <laughs> feels, uh, feels yeah. very uh, apt for what's happening in the world right now Oh my gosh! Yeah, all awesome. the feelings. Man. Well, thank well. you, Adam, for uh, <laughs> talking through uh, Ferrica and Crufix. Uh, very, very interesting deities, and there are even more that you can delve into, which Adam alluded to uh, in mm. the digital version of Mythic Odysseys of Theros that is out right now, and the hardback versions that are going to be in stores July twenty first. Yeah. It's a beautiful Adam, book. how can uh, uh, people get in touch with you and ask you things about these deities? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at, um, at Adam of Adventure. And uh, yeah, uh, feel free to send me a, a question or just uh, whatever's on your mind. Uh, I'm usually browsing Twitter every now and then and I, I enjoy the questions that come in and even stories about your you know campaigns and fun things that you you made up. I, I enjoy seeing one of the, the the nice parts of my job is to see how imaginations got inspired by the stuff we made here in house and um, and how you know friends were made and, and and good things that happened. So there's a lot of good that comes out of D and D, and I I enjoy reading about that stuff because that makes me uh, get up and go to work with even increased verbal. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Give give Adam the mind food he needs uh, to continue creative creativity. My brain requires uh, it. Yes, and my heart in these troubled times. Exactly. Yes. All right. It always at, Adam of adventure. I want everyone listening to this to at least say hi. 
Yeah. Awesome. Say hi. Right, thank you so much, Adam. We'll be back <laughs> with some more fun segments coming up soon. Woo-hoo. Yahoo! Thanks, Greg. <laughs> I love and adore speaking to Adam Lee because he imparts so much great creative knowledge into my brains. You could have rhymed that. <sighs> Tell me how to rhyme I it. I really love talking to Adam Lee because he imparts so much creativity. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> now let us go talk to Joshua Mendenhall. He is so much fun. You're going to have a ball. What? Woo! Joshua Mendelhall. Hello. Yeah. Hi there. I love Josh. Woo! Oh, <laughs> some fans in our studio audience. So glad to have you here. Yes. It's been a, a, a long run, but we finally got you here and everything's going great. <laughs> <laughs> We're very excited. So you Thank are. Thank you for having me. You are calling in from beautiful Chicago, I learned, uh, before we started this interview. Some place you are some new to. You just moved there, you said? Yeah, back at the start of the year. In the perfectly timed, uh, perfectly timed <laughs> move ex- to a new place. Had exactly one month before a stay-at-home order got put in place. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's good, I guess, because it really helps you unpack and, you know, get that art up on the walls and, you know, organize your kitchen cupboards and all those Mm -hmm. things that you put off when you move into a new place. The fun part of that is that I had to take some of my art down because we can't use hooks. We have to use command strips. And the humidity is making the command strips peel off. Oh, no. (laughs) These are the things you don't really think about. Yeah, it's, yes. it's it's one it's one laughter after another. I've learned to stop worrying about small stuff because if I don't, I'll just start screaming. Yes, <laughs> I think that's, that's true idea. of a lot of people in uh, this quarantine right now. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, a good um, lesson for everyone. But while we've been, you know, uh, in this this period, you've been uh, working on a whole lot of amazing D and D stuff uh, with your company, uh, Sina Uno Una. Yeah, Sina Una. Sina Una. Uh, what can you tell us about that company? Well, uh, Sina Una is the name of the book, and we work directly under Searsword. Uh, she started as a dice maker, and she, about a year ago, saw that no one was really doing anything with Filipino mythology after she learned that there was, in fact, a Filipino mythology. Mm. And she realized, uh, oh, no, I'm going to have to do it myself. Uh, I got attitude. pulled... It, it really is. It's, it's why I'm here, really. But uh, she pulled me in around May, June area, and I was just pulled on to do graphic design stuff, help with layout, choose fonts, basically. And I kept doing more, doing more, doing more research. I went to Gen Con with a printed out booklet to show off our project to people. And after that, I was talking about marketing, and she said to me, well, you're basically co-director now, so congratulations. <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, I'm going to have to do a lot more, aren't I? That's... Uh, and I'm still working now about a year later. That's so cool. So the book is based on like a D&D uh, 
setting that uses the stories and folklore of, of the Philippines as a, as a basis? Yeah. It pulls on pre-colonial Philippine culture and mythology. Oh, that's amazing. I'm, I'm, I don't know much about it other than that it is cool. So what is some of the fun? <laughs> I mean, I do. I have, I've been following you and seeing a lot of the artwork yeah. and, and uh, the work that you've been putting into it. Um, and it feels very D&D-like. So what, 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 what can you say about that type of mythology and that storytelling that was attractive to you? One thing that's been going on is just how it kind of differs from a lot of either Abrahamic uh, faiths and their stories or a lot of other mythologies in general. You see sometimes about how the moon represents a balance with the sun or for a lot of people, the moon represents some kind of evil. Mm. But in Philippine mythology, the sun god is sometimes lazy, sometimes not well-received, not as talked about as much when compared to uh, any one of the moon goddesses. Because there's a bunch. Uh, The primary conflict in our book is about a thing called a celestial eater, this great serpent called Bakunoa emerging from the ocean after admiring or falling in love or just thinking the moon is so beautiful that she rises up out of the ocean to devour her. Um, She's stopped by a warrior goddess named Halia, and that's the big historical event in our book. That sounds love, really cool. I mean, you you did really kind of nail the the a big difference there with the sun being so ascendant in you know Greek mythology and Egyptian mythology and things like that. But then having the moon be um, this focal point uh, in 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 this story thing sounds really interesting uh, because I mean I'm, I'm someone who loves when it's a moon, a full moon out and there's a clear night and being able to see as best you can. There's something really magical and mythical about those experiences even today. Yeah. Um, The primary thing for us has always been, and I've been observing this more and more, how other mythologies will take the night as something dangerous, take the night as something where monsters arise. Mm. And that's still true here. There are a lot of things that start doing other behaviors or other methods to feed at nighttime. But if any one of these five celestial eaters manages to get a hold of the moon and eat it or destroy it, that causes our apocalypse. Because at that point, we can't fight off against the things in the night. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. Thank you. It feels so, so different, too. Yeah, yeah, it totally. So as part of, of um, this, this project, how, is there you've created new classes as well for like what are some of the characters like that you get to play in this story so we created two new classes for this based off of the headhunters and the balons uh i'm sure if my researchers hear me about hear me saying these i'm still learning pronunciation because it's very tricky sometimes mm-hmm. i'm sure they're gonna make fun of me for this but the balons and headhunters are two new classes we're implementing because headhunters, when you when people think of headhunters in media, it's never been flattering. Right. It's always been this savage thing, tribal thing. But headhunting in the Philippines, <clears throat> sorry, it's always it's mainly circled around someone does something wrong towards someone in your village. Someone does something wrong towards your people. You've been trained to go out of your village, travel find the village that they're from, find the person, kill them, 
bring their head back to your village and enact a rite of forgiveness to accept their spirit into your circle of ancestor spirits. You pay a price for what you did, but a headhunter is trained to kill and then forgive. Wow. Which is harder to think about because in ancient Philippines, you know, the one resource that was always hard to get was people. There was plenty of gold. There was iron through trade or through some limited mining. Limited mining, I can't stress that enough. (laughs) Um, Plenty of food, plenty of nature, plenty of resources, other than it was hard to have people there sometimes. And so even in warfare, you have people who would strike non-lethally or strike to injure but not maim or kill. And here you are taking on this burden of expressly going out to kill. Hmm. And that's hard. Uh, the other class we have is uh, Babylon, Babylon, depending on which mispronunciation you want to go with. <laughs> uh, I, I also want to throw this out there. We're including a pronunciation guide because nice. we need one. If I'm messing this up after a year of study, I'm sure any number of people will, will have problems too. Right. But Babylons were our cultural leaders. They were these shamans that practiced medicine, communing with our ancestors, communing with nature to help heal. And we're implementing them as a divine caster. Uh, Then beyond that, we have a subclass for each one of the 12 base classes because we have to work with OGL, so we can't do anything with Artificer. Um, Then we're implementing a new sub-race for all the core races aside from human, five new backgrounds, six. I forgot that we figured out a a sixth one that I'm really looking forward to. We have some new boat rules for ease of travel, because Salt Marsh implemented a bunch of travel rules for boats with large sailing vessels, galleons, mm-hmm. uh, major seafaring vessels for months at sea. But the Philippines had smaller vessels, and we have boat rules for those. And then we're implementing new magic items and new spells. Wow. Yeah, so it's like a full, fleshed-out you know, way to play the using the Dungeons and Dragons framework, but, you know, telling completely different stories. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing we're also doing is we've gotten questions before of how can I use this for my world or how can I use this in the existing world? Uh, we've kind of had a kind uh, a very flippant answer so far of just, that's eh, on you. Mm. <laughs> um mainly because I don't want to overwork ourselves too much. But at this point, it basically comes down to accepting a new point of view into your world and not treating it as exotic. Right. Not making it like the, uh, the uh, falling into the, the white savior kind of uh, trope. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's difficult to do. Um, but I think there's ways that you can introduce these concepts uh, and these classes even and you know through NPCs or, or uh, you know uh, having them travel using these boats uh, to um, uh, to explore you know the lands that may have already been uh, discovered by the player characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to that headhunter idea for a second because it's something that is really interesting is the forgiveness aspect. Yeah, uh, it's something that we don't really talk about in regards to kind of the D&D 
uh, milieu of like you're going to go out and you're going to uh, have combat against monsters, whether they're you know undead or 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 you know monstrosities like the beholders and blah blah blah. But you don't really mm-hmm. give a big thought about the morality of that uh, as often. Um, right. And then here with the headhunters, it is all about you know here we did this bad thing that needed to be done, but there is this built-in forgiveness as, as, as part of that act. Yeah. And it's hard to translate the real world of it into D&D, but thankfully I'm working with a woman named uh, Mackenzie D'Armas, who's very good at translating what I write for narrative into mechanical implementation. Mm. Um, oh, wow. But you're right. That, hmm? That's a skill. <laughs> that's like, that's yes. like one of those things that you don't think about, but has to exist. And that would be really... That's a really interesting skill to have. It it really is, and it just clicks so well with her. Yeah, it's a little scary how easy mechanics in D anD D come to her. Mm. That's great. Um, but yeah, we don't really talk a lot about the morality of killing things in D anD D because a lot of video games just focus around uh, kill the thing, get the reward. Right, right, and then you think of like a paladin who's. You know, a holy knight is meant to uphold this code, but they, you know, don't have that built-in way of like, well, I need to go back and atone for what I've done, you know, which might have been for the greater good, but still weighs heavily on on the soul. I mean, oh, yes. this, this is stuff that, you know, is important in, in, in real world as well when we talk about the, the fighters who go and are involved in wars and things like that. Oh, yeah. And it's... People play these games to get a kind of break or escape or have something to take them away from what they're dealing with in real life. It's part of why people love sports so much because it can remove them from what's going on. Yeah. Um, But here we don't have a choice to avoid it. Uh, It's part of a core identity for this class. And if we skip over it, it's little better than lying. Right, right. So here's a way that you can actually tell dramatic stories while staying true to both the you know, thoughts and feelings about this mythology as well as what we are as players. I think that's really, really kind of beautiful. Well, thank you. Yeah. What it, I mean, I imagine you said you've been researching this for a year, over a year. Yeah. And a, little, so, a little over a year now, yeah. All right. So two questions I ask. Where, where are you in the development of, of this? Because I'm kind of ready to play it. No. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so we have we've had some delays here and there because of the current global pandemic. Sure. Yeah. Um, especially it's been really hard on some of our designers and writers in the Philippines. Because uh, while we have this requirement of everybody who works on this book is is Filipino, we've gotten people from Australia, some people in the United Kingdoms, and some people in the Philippines. And it's hit everyone in very unique and different ways. So we've had yeah. some delays there. But uh, I currently have a growing playtesting list. And I'm going to be doing playtesting starting next week. Oh, that's really exciting. Yeah. Already, okay. I'll be doing two or three weeks of wave one, which is going to be all our subclasses and sub races. And then playtesting wave two is going to be that plus our base classes. Oh, that's fantastic. Great. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me when you're talking about the mythology and then how it's turned into elements in the game. Um, Mm -hmm. But I imagine like when you're researching, you can go down many, many 
rabbit holes. I mean, there's so much, there's so much to work with here. How do you parse it out? How do you like, does something just jump out at you and you're like, yes, this is a story or yes, this needs to be a class or something like, how are you? Like, this is like years and years and years and years of history here. Like how do, how do, how do you turn those into game nuggets? Um, I think the first step to that is taking an honest look at how much you don't know. Mm. Um, for me, I came to this blind. Uh, I am diaspora, which can kind of be read as of the blood, but not of the land. I've never been to the Philippines. Mm. And for the longest time, I really didn't care about being mm. Filipino because whenever I tried to engage with the culture, because it's so hard to approach and because the mythology is so hard to get to, I, I didn't. I did nothing with it for the first 25 years of my life. Um, so I went into this knowing absolutely nothing. When my, when the other, when the main director, Lucia, brought me on, I was like, what do you mean there's a mythology? Uh, which hmm. are words that I regret right now. But it's taking a good look at how much you don't know. And for me, it was nothing. We've been working with two researchers primarily, one who's been researching this stuff for about the past two or three years, and another who's been researching it for the past 15. And their insight into all of this has been extremely helpful. For example, you know, when I got onto the book, we, Lucia knew that she wanted to have a headhunter Babylon base class. But when you only have that for player options, that doesn't really grab people. So we started expanding it from there and kind of spiral out of control to the point where we have all that we have right now. But the first thing I wanted to implement were base classes. Figuring out what to do with those base classes took, I want to say, four months just for the idea. Wow. Just to get all the ideas down. And I love what we're doing. It just takes a lot of time. I imagine some cultures might have it easier, but ours was a oral tradition that got harshly treated by colonizers. Um, That's why a lot of the mythology and the stories about it have been suppressed for so long, right? And so oh, yeah. What you're, what you're doing is kind of great because it shows, it makes it accessible to a much larger audience, even though, you know, those who are part of the diaspora, but also, uh, you know, uh, people who are interested in, in, in storytelling and myths uh, and want something that isn't Norse mythology or, or, or Greek that, you know, you've read a, a thousand times. Oh, yeah. And one of our goals is to help normalize knowing about this kind of stuff. Mm. I have a couple of books on my bookshelf right now that I'm looking at and I could buy one of them, which is just a book mm. on epics. Uh, if I bought it myself, it'd be $800. Whoa. But I, one of my researchers in the Philippines, he bought it for 20 bucks, uh, mm. bundled up with a bunch of other books that each cost like 10, 15, 20 bucks each and sent it over to me for $45. So overall, I paid 200 bucks for half a dozen books um, as compared to 800 bucks for one. That's a huge barrier to overcome. Yeah. And that's why part of why it's so hard to approach. Because purchasing it directly because of tariffs or whatnot would have made that $800? I, is that what you're I, saying? I honestly have no idea why it's like that. I just know that if I try and buy any book myself, it's going to be horribly expensive. Huh. I wonder why I have a copy of a I have a copy of a book called The Boxer Codex. And it cost, it was one of the most expensive books that he bought. It cost him 35 bucks. Hmm. It would cost me around 500 by myself. And I can't explain why. I, I, I actually have no answer as to why. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
I think my most extreme example of this is I have a copy of the, of a thing called the Soul Book. It talks at length about the different uh, beliefs about death and the spirit and the soul and the afterlife from different people in the Philippines. And there is like 200 copies physical because the copyright is owned by one company in the Philippines. They've only done two print runs. Oh, and I searched for like a whole month looking for one copy of this book. And the one copy that I found that was in the Philippines is in a library in Germany. Yeah. But some co- people were kind enough to, to send me a PDF copy of it. Oh. Um, so we were able to use that in the making of our barbarian subclass. Wow. Yeah. That is, yeah. But, and, and, what you, and this project is, I mean, obviously you're collecting all this information and then, you know, again, making it accessible to a, to a larger number of people once you're able to publish it. But gosh, the amount of, you know, energy that you're putting into just collecting this information uh, is you know, kind of horrifying. <laughs> like, uh, what, yeah. why, yeah. why is it so hard? It's not just uh, a Google search. Like there's, there's I, a lot going on here. Oh, I can't trust Google anymore. I really can't. Cause uh, there's, there's this thing going around uh, about a deity called Bulan and a deity called Sidapa. And it talks about how Sidapa is uh, a deity of the underworld, God of the afterlife. And Bulan is one of the moon deities and they fell in love. The problem is that Sidapa is a lie. Uh, Sidapa is post-colonial. It was made as this thing for the Spanish when they were colonizing the, the Philippines to try and get them to accept more of Christianity. Interesting. So it's kind of like <laughs> Christmas being around Saturnalia and, and mm-hmm. those type of things. Wow. Um, but actually, have something more horrifying than the Soul Book story. Uh, I have a I have a PDF of a thing called the Body Book. Beliefs about the different body, folklores, myths about what revolves on the different organs and body parts and what they function for. And my researcher has been saying this stuff for 15 years, is super proud of and happy about his copy of the soul book. He has one of the you know, physical prints of it. He's never even seen the body book. Mm. But because of me hunting around for so long, I was able to find a PDF copy and send it over to him. And he was able to answer his own personal question that he's had for about a decade. Wow. It's real hard to learn about this stuff sometimes. And the way you're describing it, almost like these are, you know, downtime activities for sages in D&D. Like these are, these are things that like you are actually doing in order to collect this information and then write about it. Uh, yeah, you're, t- you're c- talking about it in, in terms of being a quest. It's so cool. Well, thank you. It's <laughs> been a hard one to be sure. Yeah. Well, here's a question then, a little bit of shifting tracks. Uh, is... The Philippines won uh, monoculture, or there are many different beliefs and thoughts based on regions and, and islands within it? So part of what makes the research hard is that uh, there are 185 ethno-linguistic groups. Mm. Uh, and currently there are seven main languages and two dead languages. Um, actually, funny story. Uh, so... I've mentioned this a couple of times. There are these beings called celestial eaters. They're immensely large animals. Um, two of them are a result of different cultures having different interpretations of a myth, different words and their meanings. One of them is Tom Bono uh, Kano, and the other one is Tom Bono Kua. And one of them is this immense, tectonic sized crab who lives in the ocean he's the son of the he's the son of the moon and son of the sun he hates his 
both of his parents. And one day when he wakes up, he'll stand up. The oceans will lower because he's no longer sleeping in them. And he'll go up and devour his mother, the moon. Similarly, there's what the other one is this giant spider who lives in the crevices of the earth, crawls around down there. And one day he will rise up out of a volcano and warp up the moon. And in both instances, let's start the apocalypse. Wow. And so how are you dramatizing those in your book, or are you? We are. We're making it so that their presence is known and felt, and there are ways to fend them off. But as we aren't making God of War, and as, as this is different, we haven't really been worrying about making them direct fights. Mm. Because, you know, there's Godzilla, and essentially you could shoot Godzilla and see where a bullet wound is. But we're talking about, like, one of them is an eagle and has a wingspan of over 100 miles. Fighting that would be super cool in a God of War cinematic style, yeah, but it doesn't fit in with what actually fits, what actually happened in the mythology. Right, but you could could imagine, you know, uh, an antagonist in your world who's trying to wake the crab and cause yeah, an apocalypse. Actually, that's actually our warlock subclass. Ah. <laughs> our warlocks can make a pact. Their subclass is called Moon Eater Patron. Oh. And, and so you either make a pact with Tambanokua, Tambanokano, Arema Onga, who's this giant lion, uh, Minokawa, who's a giant bird, or Bakunawa, which is the giant serpent. Is it the lion that's depicted that's behind you right now? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so good. That's beautiful. It is. It's is our this? second piece done of him, and I love them both. So this is, I mean, unfortunately, people listening can't see this beautiful art behind you, but this is this evocative <laughs> of what, what to expect in the finished product. This is the style and look. Um, we have different artists doing different pieces. So, you know, from piece to piece, it'll look a little bit different. Um, we just got this one because the person is very good at very vibrant tones and lighting, yeah, it's, and I love really it. good I love at, the, and really good with scale. It's very good because uh, in one section you can see people, yeah, yeah, and you know it's that large, that far away. It does. Like, it does make it feel like a a world eating event or a you know a, a, a cosmic event is is being depicted in the image, and that's so I think evocative of what your story is. Well, thank you. They've done a very wonderful job. Yeah, it's got to be really rewarding to see it come to life in that sort of visual sense. It's really cathartic because we've been talking about this stuff amongst ourselves for months and months and months and months. And it's an entirely different thing to go from talking about a thing and about getting art for a thing and then finally having that art. It's so viscerally rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, because you were probably writing art orders and art descriptions and, you know, not really sure what you're going to get back from an artist, even though they might be, you know, uh, amazing at what they do. You'll be like, oh, I'm not sure if this is going to match what I wrote down in text. Um, and then so, yeah, it's, it's got to be gratifying to be able to see it and be like, yes, that's exactly what was in my head. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's been happening every single time of our artists just knocking out of the park. One thing that's been kind of unfortunate with everybody doing this is if they're not directly from the Philippines, they are experiencing the same kind of cathartic relief that I've been feeling of finally being able to approach our culture. 
Yeah. That's um, really fascinating. So everybody in the pro- on the project who is in the Philippines has been really passionate about seeing this come to life. And the people in the Philippines are really happy seeing our mythology and culture being taken to a whole new audience. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And just the, the, the care that you're, you're doing so is, is really evident and just hearing you, you talk about it. Now the, I, the, can I go back to the language? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I did the, I, our marketing was just me talking on Twitter for months at a time. Um, which sounds like it shouldn't have worked. <laughs> it worked on Greg. <laughs> it, did. it did. I was um, I was compelled by your your storytelling and putting this project together. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, one thing I, I the first thing I ever did was on the topic of curation, and the one one of the points I brought on was there's this guy on Tunam on YouTube who talks about uh, tsunami and he talks about how the reason why tsunami was able to, to sell people on anime so much. Uh, is because they had this feeling that someone was introducing you to something they had a great deal of passion for. And when that passion is related with care, it can become infectious. Mm. And I wanted people to understand that I am falling in love with this stuff that I should have had, that I've had a right to know all my life, but I'm just now getting to it. I wanted people to really get into it. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of so many examples in, uh, you know, uh, science fiction stories I've read of, of, of how to preserve cultures. Um, and one, one in particular is a, a story called Otherland where a, 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 the character is from uh, Africa and he, he's seeing, his, this is like a near future story, um, but he's seeing his culture kind of you know, erode away and then he finds out about virtual reality and how gaming can get across the ideas of his of his culture and his experience in a way that other forms of media can't, right? Because you can actually physically or as close to physically as possible be in, um, you know, immersed in that culture. And obviously you're not talking about virtual reality here with this, but you're talking about something perhaps even more immersive, which is, you know, fantasy role-playing. Um, yeah, and 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 I'm I'm seeing the parallels here of what you're doing is is you're learning about it for the first time, but you're also preserving it in a way that feels um, participatory. It's not just reading a book. It's not just research. You'll be able to, you know, hopefully when the the uh, project is published and 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 out there, you'll be able to give to uh, not only Filipino people who are Filipino descent, but like you know everyone. Like this is what these stories. And this culture is about, and you can not just you know hear about it or read about it, but you can actually experience it yourself. And I think that's really amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm as you're talking, I'm thinking about like, like I'm half Lebanese, and mm-hmm. like I don't know anything about. Is there Lebanese mythology? Are there? I mean, like the stories from like the Lebanese culture, like thinking just about like, God, what do I not know about like my own heritage? And, but what an amazing way to like bring these stories out and like for any culture to be able to like the way that, that you are, are, are bringing life to them again, like not, you know, just with being able to, to play a character that, you know, comes from this heritage and is living through these stories and, the art that you're you're bringing forth, I just think it's. I mean, I think like 
when this one's over, I think you could do this, you know, for for a lot of of, of um, maybe underserved cultures that like want to have their stories told. I just I think this that's just a really unique way of a, a different way of storytelling, and and like and you seem to I mean just from what what I've read and and learned about you, it's clear that that storytelling is a passion of yours, and it's something that that has been since since when you were growing up. So it's just, you know, you are a good steward of of these people's stories. So it's it's really it's very it's really interesting. I'm excited to see it. That's really kind of you to say. Thank you. Well, I'm just trying um, to give you more work here. So I mean. <laughs> we've actually got You're comments from open, We've got a bunch of comments from people throughout our marketing and even now about how they want to do books for their own cultures like what we're doing for ours. Yeah. I it's can see it. It's not our place to to do it, but the, anybody who does so, who wants to do it with the, the same kind of respect we're doing, they have our full support. Yeah. Um, I think you're a good inspiration for those who would want to follow suit. It's it's the goal, really. Yeah. Because, you know, I've gotten comments from people in the past about how they know a lot about uh, Greek and, and Roman and Norse and even Egyptian mythology. But, like, I, I went to... I went to Gen Con, you know, last year, and there was a guy who worked for a very large uh, gaming company that's been around for decades and decades. And he was talking about how he's always been interested in Filipino mythology, but there was never anything for him to find out. And I spoke to him about this book, and he was one of the first people to become very publicly vocal about my work. And that's... and. You know, sometimes I think about, you know, if I can do this right, I think back to the fact that even people who want to know about this stuff have a hard time to find out. Yeah. And I can't imagine that the situation with my own uh, mythology and culture of, of my ancestors, I can't imagine that I'm entirely unique. I can only imagine that the same for other people with their own heritages. Um, yeah. And working on this book has been very cathartic. Yeah, I bet. So anybody who wants to do similar for their stuff has both me and my and the main director's full support. That's awesome. You were saying too, I mean, we're going kind of uh, backwards forwards on our interview subjects. Usually we start with where you began <laughs> with D&D. Yeah. Uh, but now let's end with it. Too. Like, you know, how, how did you... How did you start down this, this fantasy role-playing journey and why did you think a D&D supplement was the best way to, to kind of get across this stuff? Um, so I guess I never had a chance to not be into d and <laughs> uh, my, my dad played original D&D when he was a kid. Nice. Um, he even met Guy Gax at a convention and played them at, at one of his tables. So growing up, I never had a chance to not be into D&D because I love storytelling and I love fiction. And he was telling me all these cool stories about how uh, he killed a dragon or how he ate a town or how he played a swordsman or how he and his friends had a valley of dinosaurs. And it was just super cool stuff to me. Wait, oh my ate, God. A, ate a town? He sometimes played evil characters. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like a monster, like he ate the entire town, but you're saying he <laughs> ate the people of the town. Oh. No, 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 no. Like the only thing that was left was the hole where the well was. Oh. Mm. Yeah, my dad liked to play evil characters sometimes. Um, but I was, I grew up on those stories of just him having fun with his friends. And 
I mean, that creates a lot of envy in someone who's very introverted as a child. I started playing when I was 10. Uh, but since I was three, there hasn't been a day where I haven't thought about or played or fiddled with D&D in, in some way or form. Not a day has gone by where D&D hasn't shown up in my life somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm really glad that I can make a living off doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as for doing the mythology in, in the form of you know, tabletop role-playing games, that's all thanks to Lucia. Because again, I never even knew to approach this kind of stuff until I started working with her and working with our researchers. And they introduced me to all this cool stuff that I otherwise never would have found out about. Like how there's, uh, there's primarily no stone structures in the Philippines uh, from, from pre-colonial times. But there are some fortresses on the most northern point of the Philippines aimed towards mainland Asia, mm-hmm. which begs the question, why did you have to have an eye on Asia as a whole? Mm. Just super cool tidbits here and there. And sometimes I'll post up on, on Twitter out of context conversations where I'm kind of freaking out. <laughs> um, but overall, it's been enjoyable. And I have Lucia to thank for my life is right now. We all do. Because we're I'm you know glad to see this this happening. Lucia um, sounds like a good patron. Yeah. She gave, she gave you the quest. <laughs> Definitely. Before before we let you go, I wanted to also ask you about um the TTRPG interview book that you're working on. Oh yeah. On. <laughs> well, that sounds really interesting. What's that all about? Uh so it started off as me making a joke online. <laughs> like, like, like so many things, good too. ideas. <laughs> yeah, no i i was fe- I was dealing with some frustrating things when it came to logistics and and uh, budgeting and just time constraints that we were facing. And I thought, you know, it would be really cool, just like me talking to other TTRPG devs and commiserating over everything. And I post up online saying, you know, I want to make a book, an interview book with other TTRPG devs, heads, leads. And just to make a book talking about uh, making these projects happen. And I'm going to call it, Are You Sure? <laughs> and I post a bunch of like exa- joking examples. Like there were mo- roundtable discussions asking about what's the most important piece of, of doing these books. Uh, how'd you find your artists? Joking stuff. All very tongue-in-cheek. And then immediately other dev friends of mine were like, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you've heard me talk before. You know I'm joking. You know I'm just frustrated right now. You know I'm making a joke. And then more people jumped in with, I'm in. And I would love to see this. And I can't wait to read this. And then the next day I had a publisher. Oh my gosh. And now I have a guest list of like 32 people. Wow. Uh, and there's a few more I'm hoping to talk to. But given my station and how not connected I am. I don't think I'm getting two people in particular, which is fine because I still have a whole bunch of lovely people on my list. It's a, it's a specialized skill set. Uh, you know, you know, like, like filmmaking or other kind of, it's a collaborative art, um, but it has its own special challenges. And I don't think many people outside of those who have created an RPG product kind of realize the it's not just writing a book. It's not just assigning, you know, 
art commissions to artists. <laughs> There's so much more that goes into it. And so I think not only will your that that book be you know uh, instructive for for other people to commiserate about that process, but I bet that's going to be like something that's really important for someone who wants to enter this hobby and be like, oh, here's oh, yeah. how I can learn yeah. how to do these type of things. Oh yeah, the whole point of the project is to a make it a good read, um, and b make it a book that other you know TWG de- future people who make these kind of projects can look at. Yeah, because I I hate empty advice. I hate anything along the lines of live, laugh, love. <laughs> uh, and, and I don't mean just like oh I dislike this thing. No, I'm genuinely frustrated when I see that kind of stuff because it's empty. And sometimes real helpful advice is talking about difficulties and heartaches and problems. I can read a thousand books. I can attend a thousand lectures on budgeting or writing or mechanical design. Nothing, not not to bring the mood down, but nothing in the world had ever prepared me to, I was talking with my researcher about a thing that he said he would go do by by a Tuesday and nothing prepared me in the world for when he messaged me uh, the day before saying, hey, I might be a little late. My grandmother died. Mm. I have to go attend the funeral, but I can leave early to get this down to you. And there's nothing in the world to prepare me for that. Nothing in the world prepared me for realizing that I am a boss and some people may think that I'm strict or may think that I might not care. And I had to like drive the point across to him over a bunch of messages saying, hey, it's just a deadline. You just lost someone you love. Yeah. Take care of that first. Go grieve and go grieve with as much time as you need. And I got the piece later on. He said, thank you. And I got upset with him. Like, why are you thanking me? <laughs> yeah, you should be like, thanking them for putting that work into making that thing happen while yeah. they were dealing with you know, this life-changing event. Yeah, and it, it's happened here and there. I've gotten to the point now where uh, I have had to talk to my, my team members, my writers and my artists about this thing in Japan. They have this whole term for death from overworking. Mm. And during this pandemic and during these stressful times, I've had to illustrate to them, you need to take care of yourself. We can extend the deadline if need be. We can't, make, we can't force you to be well. Just take the time to be well. And nothing could have ever prepared me for this kind of stuff. When I was doing the marketing for Sina Una, I sometimes immediately after I post the thread, I would message Lucia, I would call her up and say, hey, this is kind of hard. I, I don't know if I can do this. I ha- Three times a week, can I take a break and you do it? Just me? Okay, I guess. And there's just all kinds of things on the emotional and logistics side of making these books that people are not ready for. Yeah. And they need to be told about that ahead of time because I think if they are forewarned, they can make a better thing overall. Because I don't want to spread, I don't want to send a message of, hey, these are hard, prep yourself. I want to send this message of these things are hard, but you can do it still. You're getting at so much in the topic of this book. You know, like it feels like it's, you know, and maybe this is, probably something you can talk about in the book of a feature creep, but in some ways it feels like you're talking about um, project management in general uh, in, in a capitalistic society, which is, you know, very driven about results and metrics and 
and you know you got to put in the hours in order to make it work and we've seen that kind of rhetoric all of our lives it's ingrained you know if you've been watching you know american television and movies uh for the last 50 years it's like you got to do it and if you don't then you're somehow not worth it or yeah. or something and, and and i think there's been this at least for me over the last 10 years since having a family and really kind of you know, trying to figure out what a work-life balance means where uh, I, the life is way more important to me. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and and it should be for more people out there. Like, you know, every, mm-hmm. obviously you drive yourself and, and, and have the success that you want uh, in order to do that. But, you know, you're, you're not your job. You're not your project. You're not, uh, you know, the, the, the things that you create even. You know, it's about your your overall mental health and and and, and life attitude, and it's uh, you know your work is a facet of that, but it's not the entire all-consuming uh, thing it can be for 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 some uh, you know alpha personalities that are out there. Oh yeah, and part of why why I hate the live laugh love advice is that a lot of the times when people go for books on how to balance work and having a life. Or they look at people who try and give them advice on how to have a better personal life and not let business get in the way of it. It's it's just that same empty rhetoric, yeah. Of, of just you know you don't worry about it. Things will work out in the end. Well, it's like no, uh, real life still happens whether you're present or not. Yeah, and what you're describing. <laughs> it's, it's I mean, not to bring this you know artificially back to D and D, but it does feel very much like the basic unit of a party in Dungeons and Dragons, which is supporting each other mm-hmm. for a common goal, right? And that's what mm-hmm. all project management is. It's what all life is, really. If you're talking about families and units and things like that, is like you're all trying to do this together. And as soon as one person takes on too much of that responsibility, whether willfully or not, um, that's where that's where it falls apart. And you know, it's the same same with the D and D party. You're going to get a total, total total party kill if you send, you know, the fighter up ahead without any support. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. I think that's true of, of project managers. It's through. It's true of, you know, parents right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, Jelly. <laughs> <laughs> that's my I'm dead inside laugh. <laughs> <laughs> on, on that note, actually, what really kicked it in that what I'm doing. Uh, matters to at least my team members a lot. There's this uh, term in Tagalog called kuya, which is what you use when you're referring to someone who is your older brother or an elder respected peer. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we were bringing people on to work for us and seeing what we were all about, some of them had already caught my interviews or knew about the book. And a bunch of them instantly started referring to me as Kuya Paladin. Aww. Aww. Uh, which, uh, have you ever seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Yeah. Yeah. There's this brief moment where the cop is about to cry, but he sucks it back in through sheer force of will. I think of that moment whenever they, they call me Kuya Paladin. Aww. <laughs> That's really uh, sweet. Where I just go, I'm a big man, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> well... Let me turn that on its head and tell you, you should cry. Do yeah. not, oh, trust me, I do. do. not hold trust that me. in. <laughs> you should cry. Yeah. Trust me, you can ask anyone I work with. I'm a big emotional emotional person. That's probably also why you're a really good storyteller. Well, thank you. And a good project lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to cry. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh. What was the term, uh, Paladin? It was uh, Kuya? Kuya. K-U-Y-A. I like that. Kuya. Kuya Paladin. Well, yes. you're, doing, you're doing that work uh, and making it happen. And I can't wait to see uh, the Sina Una book when it comes out. Uh, but I'll be continuing to follow you on Twitter and seeing all the updates. Uh, but don't feel like you have to post them. But <laughs> oh, I but do. Just know Greg I is do. Waiting. I'm waiting. Any chance, any chance to yell about it? Really, it's it's great. And I want to talk to you again about the the backgrounds and you know the different languages and how you're doing all yeah, that definitely. kind of more mechanical stuff. But uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you for having me, Greg and Shelley. It's a pleasure. Good luck with everything. Um, so you. if people want to find out about this project and where it's going on uh, uh, and when it will be published, uh, where's the best place they can uh, sign up for news or, or follow you? The best place uh, is on Twitter. Either follow me on Twitter under HTT Paladin or follow the main director, Lucia, who goes under Searsort. Awesome. Um, we're also, we have prayers up right now on the Deck of Many's website because they're a publisher. Great. Awesome. I can't wait to hear more from Lucia too. I want to see uh, where this, where, you know, guiding force for this project came from. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. All right, well, thanks so much, Josh. Uh, Thank I'll you. I'll let you get back to work. It sounds like you got a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, you got stuff to do. I've been ignoring my to-do list vaguely on the left-hand side of my <laughs> desk. <laughs> well, it's been piling up, but no worries. Uh, enjoy, enjoy uh, the work because it seems like you are. What a wonderful project. I can't wait to uh, see more of the artwork uh, in Sina Una and hear more from Joshua Mendenhall. He's doing great work. He is fascinating. And you can tell that he is a masterful storyteller. He's someone who truly appreciates story. And um, just, I, I, I love how much he... He's putting into this. It's very yes. genuine. And he gave you inspiration. He gave me inspiration. He gave everyone listening an inspiration token that you can use in your next game or Aww. project that you're creating out there. I feel like there. Drunky might need some of that inspiration. Drunky will need some of that. But before we do, uh, get the Drunky and what's happening with her. Uh, everybody, Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, coming out September 15th. You can pre-order it now. Please do so uh, with your local game store so that you can pick up that cool alternate copy uh, cover from uh, Hydro 74 and make it happen. Uh, it's also available on Roll20, D&D Beyond, as well as Fantasy Grounds. Make it happen. Get pumped for Icewind Dale. Pumped! Yeah! Um, excited! Shelly, how can people find out more about what you're doing in your life? Well, it's fascinating, let me tell you. So Always. you'll definitely want to follow me on Twitter. Uh, and or Instagram at Shelly Moo on both. Awesome. I'm at Greg Tito, but if you really want to find out about what's going on in the worlds of Dungeons and Dragons, well, you can follow that uh, at Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter, Facebook, give it a like, or uh, Instagram, Wizards underscore D&D for that as well. Great stuff popping everywhere, but the best way to get all of the information that you need about upcoming products and promotions is on Dragon Plus. Download it for free from your phone right now and get uh, info about what's going on with Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, uh, beamed directly to your device. Meow. You can also that get that on... That is the sound it makes. That is the sound it makes. It's just, meow. That's also the sound that Drunky Two Shoots makes. Um, you can also get that content on dragonmag.com on the web. 
You don't need to download it to your phone if that's not your jam. Uh, but you can still get all that amazing stuff and read my ed- editor's note, maybe, if you want. Definitely. I'm going to go do that right now, actually. It's not that good. Don't worry about it. Um, but what I do want you to do now is pay attention to what Drunky Two Shoes has been doing. Uh, following a figure, they got into an altercation. Uh, it asked for a uh, amulet uh, in a raspy voice, even though it appeared to be uh, Daryl Two Shoes. It spoke in a voice that was not Daryl Two Shoes' voice, uh, and we last left it with uh, Drunky Two Shoes attempting to bluff and say that you have the amulet that it was asking yep. for. Yeah, we rolled really poorly. I did. Um, and so uh, it says, "You are a liar," and uh, it immediately disappears. You're, you you <sighs> were you were holding it, and it gone, and then all of a sudden, the body of this creature. Uh, vanishes and it's the the robe that it was wearing with a big hood over its face uh, is is left in your hands. Does it smell? Uh, it does smell, uh, but it does not smell like a tabaxi wood uh, or even any kind of corporeal creature. It smells almost like a uh, ozone. Interesting. Like a pungent, um, yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. I'm going to take this. Um, is there footsteps where this thing in the area like that I could, are they like paw prints? Or well, like- roll me a uh, survival check or a perception check, whichever you think would be better. Could you do that for yeah. me? Because as it turns out, I can't find. Ooh, my, you rolled a 19. My, uh, yes. So you, you glance around all of the uh, area and you know, spend some time. You're kind of holding it and, and not really sure what to do. And you don't see any tracks at all, actually. Oh. None leading up to where it was uh, or um, away from your position. Can I detect magic? We will take that up uh, next time as you cast to detect magic. What are the magic words you say? Ooh, that doesn't rhyme. It does if you understand cats. Tabaxi? Tabaxi. Yes. I'll see you next time. Okay. Bye.